Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. As always, we got you with Youth Apart on Patreon.com. So, Here in Apologetics, today I'm joined by Carl and a few guys in the Youth Apologetics Empire, both named Kyle. We're going to be talking the YouTuber slash blogger, the non alchemist some interesting questions you have to think about. Um, before we do that, can we just get brief introductions? Um, just everyone introduce yourself. Start with Carl, and then we'll do like counterclockwise and just introduce yourself, who you are, briefly, before we get going. Yeah, um, if we could get everyone else and mute their mics because there's someone with a vast amount of background noise going on. I'm not sure who that is. I don't – I want to save our – all right, I think it's Kyle. Or, yeah, just Kyle, not a, not a lander, but with the background noise. But I am Carl. I'm Zach's kind of roommate. Uh, I do this thing on TikTok, but it's not really any good, so I'm here for the ride. Yeah, so apparently I have a lot of background noise, so hopefully hopefully it's less now. Maybe my computer, my computer's loud. So um, yeah, I'm Kyle. Uh, I have a channel, but there's nothing on it yet. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, I love philosophy. That's why I'm here. And uh, I'm excited to be responding, so good stuff. All right, my name's also Kyle. I run the uh, Christian Idealism YouTube channel. My main area of focus is philosophy of mind, although philosophy of religion, I think, is probably my second favorite um, field of interest. And so, um, as well, I'm, I'm also a Christian, so, you know, I believe that Jesus is God and all that stuff. But, um, so, of course, the video we're going to look at today is going to be questions for Christians, and I'm a Christian, so hopefully I can sort of bring my own perspective on this. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what we're going to do is we're just going to dive into this video. There's 10 questions. Um, they're short. They're good. And we're going to get going. So we'll play question number one right now. Have you read any firsthand materials criticizing your beliefs or has it mostly come secondhand? What I mean by that is, are you, when you're learning about other positions, are you letting people that already agree with you uh, teach you everything you know? Or are you actually going to the people who hold um, opinions that you don't agree with? Uh, and if you're not getting it from firsthand sources, why aren't you doing that? Mark Twain. All right. So let's take a look. Do you guys see? Oh, shoot. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see it. I was like, wait. wait. <laughs> well, my yeah. apologies, everyone. I did not share it on the screen. Um, so that is why no one heard it. So we will yeah. restart right now. I apologize if everyone listening. Have you read any firsthand materials criticizing your beliefs or has it mostly come secondhand? What I mean by that is, are you... When you're learning about other positions, are you letting people that already agree with you uh, teach you everything you know, or are you actually going to the people who hold um, opinions that you don't agree with? Uh, and if you're not getting it from firsthand sources, why aren't you doing that? All right. So let's respond to this question. Um, how do we want to do this? Do we want to have like an order? Like someone want to go first and we'll kind of work our way around? Um, yeah. Really doesn't, I mean, I... It doesn't matter to me, but I'm going to show my, my, uh, <laughs> my book. Right, I don't, don't want to do it yet, but yeah. How about we let Kyle go last then? Here, we'll just start. We'll do the order we did the introduction on. Um, so I'll start, and we'll go Carl, and then Kyle, and then the other Kyle can just, like, flex on all his grandmoppy and stuff. Um, okay. But, I mean, I personally, I've engaged somewhat. I haven't gotten into, like, super deep atheist philosophy of religion. Like, I've read Oppie. I've um, parts of Oppie. Like, I'm reading through Arguing About Gods now. Read Mackie. Read some Malpass. Um but a little bit. I mean, obviously I had that phase where I just read, like, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I hadn't really understood like atheist philosophy um, a lot, but I believe now I've really tried to pay attention and get the best out of what so both sides have to say. Um, so it's an interesting question and 
Yeah. That's all you, Carl. So me, I really, I guess, I don't really study what people believe as much as I listen to what they say they believe. If I, I feel like if I study, if I were to study atheism, I wouldn't understand what each individual atheist believes because not every single atheist holds to this grand scheme of atheism. So I study what I believe and I respond to people's questions about what I believe. It's not really something I actively do, although I will, I'll challenge myself here and there listening to what intelligent atheists say about their own beliefs and think about how that relates to mine, what their evidence. And so I guess I'll answer about 50%. I do. Yeah, well, I just want to start and pull a Josh Rasmussen and say that I just want to affirm what this guy is saying. It's like a Josh Rasmussen quote. Um, but like, I think it's really important to acquaint yourself well um, with literature from opposing viewpoints. And also what Carl said about, you know, being aware of what people also actually believe. I think both of those are, are, are important. Um, and this is actually why um, usually when I'm talking with people that uh, don't, um, that aren't really familiar with like a lot of the philosophical literature that are trying to talk philosophy and don't, aren't very well acquainted with a lot of the arguments for and against, I have, I recommend them three uh, theist philosophers and three of my favorite non-theist philosophers. And um, so I'm currently uh, reading a lot of stuff um, not a whole lot of which is atheistic, but I have like the Blackwell Companion to Problem of Evil on my list. I have Schellenberg, um, The Hiddenness Argument on my list. I love Paul Draper. Anyone who knows me should know that I just love Paul Draper. He's like awesome. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely um, am directly acquainting myself with opposing viewpoints. All right. For me, um, well, I got a long list. So I'm just going to go through the ones that I think are not as well good, and I'll go to better sort of atheist sources so got the case against god now of course he's not he's not a philosopher so just want to caution this is definitely not um i would not recommend you read this on either side um it's not that good but when it comes to sort of better philosophers um you've got nicholas everett you also have michael martin as well as well, michael martin same thing um but i think the probably the best sort of if you really want to get really deep into the literature. Um, this is probably the best I'd recommend. Um, so the first one I recommend is why there's something rather than nothing. And he goes into the sort of atheist answers to those sort of questions, sort of like deep philosophical questions. But I think the top four books would probably be, of course, The Miracle of Theism, um, Logic and Theism by Sobel. So it's pretty big, obviously. And then of course, um, Graham Oppie, which I think Graham uh, these books right here, which the best argument against God as well as arguing about God's these two books right here, like, like, I, I don't know anything better than this, right? At least on the atheist side. Now, of course, there might be something better. But honestly, I, I have not been able to like find anything better than this sort of material. Um, so I do read the atheist literature, I try my best to sort of understand their perspective. And the reason why is because I'm searching after truth, right? When you search after truth, you have to look at the best sort of argument to both sides. You can't you can't really have this sort of caricature or strawman view of the uh, positions, right? And honestly, like, I think, you know, when it comes to debating God's existence, honestly, like, if, if I feel like it's it's kind of like we're, we're both, both the atheist and the theist are sort of on the same path in regards to trying to find truth, right? And I think that's sort of important, you know, Josh Ross Wilson points this out where it's like we're both 
in the same boat or both trying to figure out the nature of reality. Um, so I think that's sort of the best way to approach it. You know, don't, don't look at theism and atheism as like these tribes. Cause once you do that, you're not going to really make any progress. The real way, the real sort of way to make progress is by actually reading the best on both sides. So uh, that's definitely what I do for the atheists. Well, I, I think too, sorry, I'm sorry, Zach. I'm going yeah, to hop but... in. Uh, yeah, I think too, it's important that, um, to recognize that like, uh, what you find compelling from atheists on the other side or, 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 or from, or for atheists, for theists on the other side or whatever, um, it's kind of going to vary. Like for me, like, you know, everyone, everyone automatically goes to the POE for like, that's the argument against theism. But for me, it's divine hiddenness. For me, I find a lot of the answers to POA really plausible, but I, it's sort of the opposite with divine hiddenness. And so I think that just depending on certain things, certain circumstances and certain ways that you look at life, that um, certain authors and certain uh, writers and philosophers and stuff will have different effects on you that will kind of vary and be different. And so, like, I know our, our mutual friend, uh, Timothy, uh, doesn't find Graham Oppie all that convincing, but he likes Gregory Dawes and he likes Graham Oppie. And so it just kind of varies. So, yeah. Yeah, um, we'll keep on going. I just want to say welcome, Susan, uh, Joshua, Phillip, Godless Engineer, everyone who's joined. Um, we will answer a little bit of questions at the end, John. Um, it's a great question. Um, so we'll definitely get to that, but we want to get through this video first, and I will share my screen this time, and we will keep on rolling, and we will not just have my face. Mark Twain once said that the easy confidence with which I know another man's religion is folly teaches me to suspect that my own is also. Have you at least tried to apply the same level of skepticism that you have towards other religions to your own belief? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. I think, obviously, at one point, we're not going to just be skeptical of, like, our beliefs that we kind of grew up with. But, I mean, basically, yes. Like, I'm very open and willing to read from anyone. Like, I have, like, I'm not a Catholic, but I have the Catechisms, the Book of Mormon, the Quran, read atheists, like, all kinds of stuff. Um, so, at least, obviously, we're all biased. Like, we can't escape bias. But I, mean, I feel like for everyone here, we're open to other religions if they're true. Like, and hopefully, we're all seeking truth, you know? Yeah, I'm definitely seeking truth. I will say that since I have been at least thus far intellectually convinced of Christianity, I do take that presupposition into most things that I've into most things that I study like okay, is this going is this true? How do I view this in terms of a Christian perspective because I do trust the decision the conclusions I've come to I've come to in the past. So I will say, okay, this is new evidence. How does this play into what I believe? Does this directly contradict what I believe? And how can we actually can and can we work this together? Or do I need to complete do I need to rearrange my beliefs in order to fit this evidence in there? Yeah, so um, I absolutely I mean, this is I think me and Allender also share this in common. I think both of us are just ridiculously skeptical of our own views of like, um, and of, of other views and stuff like that. And I think for me, like, I, I, I just want coherent ideas of things of my own. Um, you know, I, I, and I was even thinking about this lately. Um, I think one thing that I'm really skeptical of um, is uh, that, that I think, uh, I know a lot of theists that I'm friends with would disagree with me on, but I think uh, I'm, I'm quite skeptical of like the idea that like morality can be grounded in God. And so I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not even sure, or, or even objective morality in general. And so, um, I just really dig into that and I'm really digging into that right now and being like, well, are there any plausible models for how this looks? But just point being, like, I think that I am very skeptical. I think it's worthwhile to be skeptical of your own views. But I'm, I'm also with Carl that I think that at some point 
um, there are reasonable points to just settle down and not not forever. You know, it's it's good to reconsider your own views, but just to say that like, all right, I think this isn't the most plausible answer right now until I have new information or until I think about something new. And so this is what I believe. So I don't think we should be universal philosophical skeptics. Yeah, so for me, um, it's a very interesting question because I, I actually do find a lot of at least ideas in religion to be plausible, right? Um, so like, for example, incarnation, I consider that, even though I don't believe in incarnation, I do consider it that to be sort of a, a big possibility, right? Um, if I weren't a Christian, I would probably be a Hindu, if I'm going to be honest, because I think, uh, even though Hinduism is very broad, I think a lot of the sort of metaphysics that they talk about is very in line with what I already believe anyways, with my sort of metaphysical idealism. So, I mean, um, I actually, I'm not as skeptical of other religions as most people would like me, at least most Christians would like me to be, right? Because I do, I do think that um, other religions can be true in some sense, right? Um, the question I think is more important is not whether some ideas of religion are true, but whether the salvation is true. Like, you know, am I going to go to hell because I'm not a Hindu or something like that? I think that's more, I think, so when it comes to like salvation, obviously I think the Christian idea of salvation is the correct one. Um, there's various reasons for that. I can, I'm not going to get into it now, but um, I think that's sort of the, the, the sort of crux of the issue is salvation. So regardless of all the other, you know, doctrines, those are really irrelevant. The question is is more about the salvation itself like is jesus does jesus or does god have the power to bring us out of this sort of fallen state right because i think i think what a lot of people forget is um you have to understand the purpose of religion like why does religion exist right and i think one of the biggest reasons why it exists is because of this concept of salvation and i think if you can kind of at least show that the at least the christian model is the most plausible one then it's probably most likely to be true. Now, again, does it does it prove it's true? But you know, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it's most probably true if that's the case. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I mean, I know my view seems a little more open towards like some sort of omnism. Towards what? Towards what? Omnist, now? an omnist um, sort of where like every religion is true in some sense. Yeah, I have some interesting views on this actually, um, because uh, I, well, so I read, I, I watched a compelling video from Peter Van Inwagen uh, a while back. Um, I've been digging into his stuff a little bit, and um, he was he was the question he was being asked was like, do all or like do the main three monotheistic religions worship the same God? And I think for a Christian, like the obvious answer is no, no, no. Of course they don't. But he actually provided an inter interesting spin on it. He's like, well, I think that they do, not in the sense that they're ex that they're the same God strictly speaking. But like, he was like, well, for example, this author uh, wrote a book about Mother Teresa, and then Christopher Hitchens wrote a book about Mother Teresa, and they're both about the same person. We all know about the, they're about the same person. But one of them is this like uplifting, like great story about the life of Mother Teresa, and the other one's like Christopher Hitchens being like, oh, this is so horrible. Yeah. And so it's, you know, saying like, oh, these are two different gods. Now I think it's just different views on God. And obviously I think the Christian one is true, but, um, and then the other thing is, I, I think that there is, this is something I believe for a while, I think there is a lot of true doctrines or true reflective things about, about the world in a lot of other religions. Because I think that um, if, I, I think it's, you can't say like, 
another religion is just a total lie because if it were a total lie, no one would believe it. There has to be yeah. true coherent elements about it that reflect the real world in order for people to actually buy into something. And so I think there is truth in other religions. I just think that Christianity is true, if that makes any sense. But yeah, I, I appreciate that yeah. idea. Yeah. No, I think I'm tracking with you. And I think that at the end of the day, with like, do Christians, his Muslims and Jews worship the same God? The answer is no. Obviously, they're all theists, but it's a different God that they're all wor they're worshiping. Um, I think that they are. But we'll as to Mother Church, uh, interesting oh. thoughts, guys. I was going to say that yeah, uh, say just it. as to the Mother Teresa thing, it's a different thing saying like, oh, this is a commentary about Mother Teresa and having a different perspective about Mother Teresa than saying who is Mother Teresa. Because Jews, Hindus, and or Jews, Muslims, and Christians have a very different idea about the very person of God because we hold that the very person of God is Jesus Christ as well. It's not simply a description of God, rather, it is the full deity of mm -hmm. God, and no other religion holds that. So, absolutely. So, I would say that there's no way Christians, Jews, and Muslims can hold to the claim that we all worship the same God. Yeah, fair enough, especially incarnation. Most of us can be biased in favor of what we were raised to believe, or just what we want to be true. How are you personally trying to fight these all-too-human impulses? And related to that question, what kind, what kind of thing would lower your confidence in Christianity? Okay, um, I'll give a couple of thoughts here, and then we'll go to you guys. I think there's a couple of questions here. Obviously, first is the idea of confirmation bias. Like, I think first we have to recognize like we all have confirmation bias. Like, that's very obvious. I do think it's really interesting. Um, to think about here is like, I'm a Christian, so I'll obviously have a bias towards Christianity, but an atheist have a bias towards atheism. But I believe there was a study that came, I can't cite the study, but it just makes sense from personal experience and just knowing people. But once you convert to a different worldview, it becomes harder to go back. So let's say like, um, I'm an atheist when I grow up and I become a Christian when I'm like 25. It's going to be a really hard for me to become an atheist again. Um, the same thing can be go vice versa. So I think obviously just basically confirmation of bias applies to everyone. And I think especially once you get into people who convert from one belief to another, it becomes extremely hard to go back to something that you would pronounce as wrong. Um, so there's that. And like we all have confirmation bias and we have to overcome that. And then what would lower your confidence in Christianity? Well, I think there's a few things. One is just like if there was no good reason to believe that God exist, existed, then I'd have a hard – it'd be a lot harder to believe in Christianity. Like if you knew there was no God – then Christianity would be kind of worthless because it kind of bases its whole like claim in there being a God. Uh, so that's just one thing, but I'll keep it so we can keep the conversation flowing. I'll give it to you, other, to you guys. Yeah. As to what I'm actively doing to negate confirmation bias, um, honestly, not that much. So this is a great heart check for me and I appreciate that as to, I get what, what was the second question that. What would lower your confidence in Christianity? Ah, Yes. Um, literally name something. If it doesn't line up with a Christian worldview, it'd probably lower my confidence in Christianity. If it came out that, you know, there's that the Bible was inaccurate, it would lower my confidence in Christianity. It wouldn't make me not a Christian, but hey, it's something else to consider that doesn't line up with it. So really, there's a lot of things that could lower my confidence in Christianity. It's just whether or not those things actually happen. Yeah. So, um, you know, two questions there kind of, uh, so the, the first one, how, how am I working to 
uh, lower my confirmation bias? And the short answer is I basically force myself to like work with and seriously consider objections from opponents in my own views. I think it's like really easy to um, just like, you know, cause I think when you agree with someone, right. When you're like, when you're a conservative, right. And you just like agree with everything that like, uh, just for an extreme example, like let's say you're like a hardcore conservative, you just agree with everything Rush Limbaugh says. Right. And so you just like love listening to Rush Limbaugh. Cause you're like, this guy gets me, but I think it's harder to, to sort of force yourself out and be like, well, am I really challenging myself? Am I really putting my own views under fire? Um, and, uh, to see if they're actually worth holding up. And so in those regards, that's kind of why I do just try to put myself in the other person's shoes. Um, and then I think like, as far as what would lower my confidence in Christianity, like, I think the the classic Sean McDowell, like <laughs> if I found the bones of Jesus, Christianity is kind of kaput. Um, and then like kind of less obvious would be, you know, something like a Bayesian argument from evil or hiddenness were successful. Um, if I had undercutters to my reasons for believing in God, that would undermine my confidence. Um, or no, not sufficient positive evidence for the resurrection, something like that. Um, you know, I think there are a number of plausible ways that I could have my confidence undercut in that regard. Yeah, so um, for me, I obviously, I pointed out earlier, I read a lot of atheist philosophers, Graham Oppie, <laughs> Mackie, right? Um, so I, I try to actually, in fact, I think I have more atheist books than theist, than theist books. So like... <laughs> like you know i get it like um you know we all have bias right um and i think the best way to sort of overcome that not overcome it completely of course but kind of reduce the bias is to really read the opponent's side like read read basically read um people you don't agree with more than you um than people that you don't that you do agree with right um so i guess one quick one quick example. I mean, this is more political, not not really uh, f philosophical. But when it comes to like um, democratic socialism, um, that is a view that I used to be highly skeptical of. But now it's once I once I'm starting to like understand what it actually says, it's not as bad. Like I'm actually not considered to become a socialist, but like I can see why people hold that view. Right? It's not this crazy sort of position that people hold politically speaking. Right. And, you know, that I used to be biased against socialism. And now it's like, well, when you actually understand, you know, democratic socialism, then it's not as my like, sort of bias goes down. Right. Um, and I think that's sort of healthy to look at it. And as far as the second question goes, what would lower my confidence? Well, I mean, just, of course, find the bone of Jesus. That would definitely be, you know, something that would that I would be a Christian, <laughs> obviously, if that were to if that were to happen. But um, I don't, I don't honestly, I don't think we need that high of a standard because I'm not really even sure if that's ever going to happen. So I think a better sort of standard is to, I guess, what would lower my confidence would basically just have a better sort of explanation. Like, let's say if there's some argument for naturalism that I found really compelling or like maybe um, some of the arguments like my PSU, maybe that's that's a wrong sort of way to go. Right, maybe a better theory is one that doesn't have unification or something like that, where naturalism can actually win. Then, yeah, I would I would become a naturalist, or at least I wouldn't believe that God exists. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can go, um, but um, I think overall, I think the the sort of best sort of way to convince me that Christianity is false is to present a better alternative position. So, yeah. 
Yeah, the best way for intellectual honesty is really just to read um, and listen to people we disagree with, and that can help us a lot as we keep on going. Have you thought about that? What would lower your confidence in Christianity? If people from other religions claim to be just as certain as you are that the specific contents of their beliefs are true, based mostly on religious experience, then shouldn't that at least give you pause? I mean, how can you know that your experience of the divine is any more real than anyone else's from a different religion? What criteria would you use to figure that out? So yeah, I think that's a good question. Like the idea of like religious experience and such. Um, I think religious experience is a really good argument for theism. I don't know if it can get you to Christianity because you have this idea of like conflicting um, religious experiences. Um, I would say that like every person should be not just like totally abandon their religious experience because maybe a, a Muslim had one or something like that. But I mean, I definitely think it's something to be cautious with because as Christians, we believe that um, there's demonic forces as well. So obviously it, it, I think it's kind of expected under Christianity that there would be religious experiences from other religions. Um, but all, all I'd really say is before I give it to you guys, it's just religious experience is a really good argument for theism, not necessarily Christian theism because there's conflicting religious experiences. Um, yeah, that's my main thought on the idea of like an argument from religious experience. Well, the fact that um, the fact that he says like a religious experience is as to how certain people are of their belief systems because of their religious experiences, it doesn't give me pause once again, like for the reasons that Zach said, people have religious experiences all the time. It's how does your religious beliefs coincide with reality that would give me pause if your religious beliefs have a more i guess coherent representation of reality and a co more coherent explanation of what we can see touch feel and know that give me pause yeah so i think the the question that he raised i think is a really difficult one and actually it's an interesting one to me um i think i'm, I'm generally skeptical of, of religious experiences in general you know i'm not performed epistemology sorry to all of you party people out there uh, david palman won't feel bad though um but you know i've never really had any uh religious experiences of my own but i think it is problematic sort of like what zach mentioned that like um they all kind of, a lot of them point in different directions and so for that reason i kind of don't think they're epistemically justifying um, and, I, and I, again, like what Carl said, you know, that, that it, it's got to do with what uh, coincides with reality. There is like a really, really small class of what I would call like confirmatory experience, which I think would be something like directly concording with predictions of one's own religion, um, maybe miraculous or somehow. Um, but uh, otherwise, I'm just generally skeptical of, of religious experience. And so um, I can appreciate where this guy's coming from, although I do think it's a good argument, a good defeater for naturalism. Um, so. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I do, again, I, <laughs> I think it, there were the argument from religious experiences, we wouldn't expect that under naturalism, right? We would actually expect that under some sort of theism. Now it doesn't confirm any religion, of course, right? Because I think we have to understand that experience, religious experience is personal, right? So if I had a religious experience, I would not use that as evidence to convince other people that, you know, Christianity is true. Like that's personal. Right. So we, I think we have to take that into account that because of their subjective nature, you're not going to it's not evidence. Um, it's not like objective evidence, so to speak. It's more like evidence that uh, that only you have experienced. Right. Um, and so that's what I would say. I would agree with him that 
you know, we shouldn't use re religious experience as evidence for other people or present it as evidence to convince them. Like that's not going to convince anybody really. I don't think. Um, so yeah, that's what I, that's what I have to say. Yeah. I think it's great. I think we can all agree that it, religious experience wouldn't be expected under naturalism. It would be expected under theism. And I think as Christians, we possess a belief in the demonic realm. So I think it'd be expected that would that there'd be religious experiences to some degree in other religions. Um, so let's keep on rolling. Suppose after a period of long involvement, a Mormon comes to question whether there's really anything supernatural going on in their religion after viewing the lives of many Mormons over the years. Should this give them, is this a good reason for them to start to maybe question their faith? And if it's a good reason for them to possibly consider that they're wrong, then can't you grant that, you know, the experience of a Christian going through a similar thing, could that also be a clue they might be wrong? Yeah, so I think this is, oh, shoot, I forgot to share the screen again. You guys didn't hear that, did you? We heard it, we just didn't see it. At least I heard it. Yeah, I heard it. Okay, so um, if you're listening via podcast, thank you that you heard it. Um, thank you, Kyle, for your private message. I just saw that. Um, my apologies, everyone, but you heard it if they heard it. And I, I think, I think when I listened to this the first time, I think the point he was trying to make is like, what if, um, people see maybe people in a religious group and they're kind of just living like any other person, like there's not really any like real transformation going on. And if he, if that's his argument, then I think he's totally right in saying that, like, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, but we live like the rest of the world, um, we're not making a good case for Christianity at all. Um, so if that's the point he's making, that's kind of what I got out of it. Um, I don't know if you guys kind of got anything different. So we'll turn it to Carl. Um, that's my thought. Um, John 17 says, it is by this they will know that uh, I am from God, how you love one another. So yes, the biblical answer is he's completely correct. He's very biblical in what he said. So yeah, at least in, in as far as I understand what he's saying. I love Carl's answer. It's just, this guy's biblical. It's perfect. Yeah. And I mean, I, th I think the answer is obviously yes. Like maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I grew up in a different church culture than this guy does, did, but it just seems like obvious to me. Like, yes, that is reason. Like not to reject what you believe, but like it, to consider that you could be wrong, like zero wrong with that, like nothing. So I think it's obvious yes to his question. So. All right, I got nothing to add because I think we all agree that uh that should not be happening <laughs> so yeah so christians and skeptics can agree after all um what's up sam uh thanks for joining us there's one thing i just wanted to say very briefly is we shouldn't use hypocrisy as a reason to dismiss a worldview like there's hypocritical people in every worldview i've noticed um real life theology one of the best atheist podcasts out there um a lot of times in their arguments against pro-life, they'll just point out, you know, pro-lifers are hypocrites or something like that. And you can say, well, maybe, but that doesn't change the arguments against abortion, um, things like that. So just because people are hypocrites doesn't change the truth of a belief. Um, there's hypocrites everywhere. So we should dismiss every belief if we're going to do that. And I think we should just look at the evidence and that's what points us to Christianity. And I'm going to share my screen. And we're going to keep on rolling. People that are hypocrites, I believe, are hypocrites. So we should we should just dispose of hypocrisy itself, right? Ah, oh, if only it was that easy. Christians sometimes discount deconversion stories by pointing to scenarios in a person's life around the time it might have happened. But if it's fair for Christians to do that, then why couldn't a skeptic do the same thing? Suppose a believer converts after, say, a pandemic. Is it fair for a skeptic to say, well, you 
you know, they're just a Christian because of the pandemic. And if, if it's not fair for us to do that to you, then why would it be fair uh, for you to do that to us? Yeah, I mean, I feel like once again here, we're going to get pretty similar um, agreements. Like, yeah, it's fair to kind of like look at the circumstances surrounding a person's conversion or deconversion. Like, that makes sense. Like, obviously, not everyone's just no one changes their beliefs purely from an intellectual capacity, unless you're um, Jonathan McClatchy, I guess. Just kidding. Um, but like, he's a very committed evidentialist. But like, we're all going to make emotional decisions in a sense. Like, we can't escape that. And like, yeah, people are going to have like surrounding external factors that are going to change their beliefs. But yeah, I mean, I agree with him. I just don't think, and I, yeah, I mean, I don't really have any disagreements there. No, I think people definitely will change their beliefs based on, you know, change in circumstance. But I don't think that's a reason enough to discredit their conversion and simply say, oh, you only converted because of that. No, there would have had to have been something that led them to that that had been going on beforehand because people don't just up and while people don't make purely intellectual decisions, people also don't make purely emotional decisions. There is some cognitive process behind that that leads to that decision. So yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I wouldn't say that it's credible for either of us to discredit someone's religious conversion based simply off of their circumstances. Yeah, and, and shocker, I agree. Like, I agree with this guy uh, that, that, like, it's not fair to judge people off that. I think that should be avoided on all sides. I mean, I experience this a lot myself from atheists, and I just think it's a bad way of thinking. Like, there are a lot of reasons that go into belief or lack thereof and we shouldn't just discount the whole belief because one or more reasons may be suspect or suspect yeah i mean i i agree with his sort of i think it is unfair for that to happen right so like i know atheists that they basically like they became christians for emotional reasons and then they became atheists for like they switched that happens right and so it's obviously it's not fair to um do that sort of thing right so yeah yeah i just say like when we're, as christians when we're approaching deconversion stories i'll just highlight this we shouldn't just immediately jump to like oh they just want to sin or they hate god or something like that like obviously like we have things like romans one that we believe is christians but we should also understand that they're people like and we should look at them as people because i look at someone like the non-alchemist and i'm just like not like oh he deconverted because he wanted to sin i really interested in like his story and stuff and wanting to understand him. Um, we're going to keep on rolling though. If there's an apparent conflict between your deeply held religious beliefs and the available public evidence, which do you, or which would you default to? And if you say uh, your deeply held religious beliefs, what would you say to someone from a different religion that answered that question the same way that you did? Okay. Um, this question is kind of challenging for me to answer because it it's just kind of vague. Like, and I'm not saying that he did this in, on purpose because I don't think he did. But like, what's, what does he mean by a deeply held religious belief? That's kind of like my first question. Like, are we talking about, like, I'm a Christian. Are we talking about maybe, like, the Trinity or the resurrection? Or are we talking about um, maybe, like, inerrancy, like a secondary issue? Um, or, like, the creation account in Genesis? Like, what view I hold to on that? Because I think, like, on these secondary issues, I'd be more than willing to, comp not compromise, but change my beliefs if it still fit within, like, a Christian like if there's a Christian answer to it, I'd be willing to adapt my answer. Um, and I think when we get to like the essentials of Christianity, like the Trinity, deity of Christ, the resurrection and stuff, like, I mean, like I, if Christianity is false, I wouldn't be a Christian, but it would take a lot 
of evidence to kind of overrun those beliefs if they're false, um, at least for me to change my mind. And if someone would from the same worldview would say a similar thing, like I kind of understand that, like you should, there should be, a, if you have a belief, like you shouldn't just discard it because there's this tiny piece of evidence against it. It should be like a lot. Um, so that's my thought. Yeah. If someone were to just get, if someone were to give me evidence that contradicts Jesus Christ rose from the dead, I would be much more hesitant to accept this new belief that he didn't than I would be to say, move from a covenantal theology perspective. I, it would, like Zach said, it would take a great deal of evidence to convince me that Jesus Christ did not rose from the dead simply because that is such a deeply held religious belief. And that isn't, I don't hold that religious belief so deeply because it's a religious belief. I hold that belief so deeply because I've been so thoroughly convinced of it. Um, so yeah, well, I say, well, I'd say that what would I fall back on my deeply held religious beliefs? Yes, I would because of the severe amount of evidence that has pointed to them and supported them throughout everything that I've studied. Yeah, and so, I mean, if we're talking about like a direct contradiction to something, and it is a vague question like Zach said, but if we're talking like a direct contradiction between what I believe in public evidence, then I would say, yes, default to public evidence, unless like what Carl said, like I have further strong reason to believe that what I believe is true. And like I said, Earlier, like I think there can be, I don't think there are, but I think there can be like successful Bayesian arguments from evil or something like that. And a person can say there is this evidence against God. But I think that some people can assent to that and still believe in God because I think they have above and beyond reasons to believe in God. And so I think that's fine. Um, you know, just it's it's sort of I don't think it is a black and white scenario like he made it seem. Although I can understand where his question's coming from. Yeah. So. Um... I would go with the evidence, right? So I'm assuming when I read this, I kind of assumed what you meant by public in that case was correspond to reality. So whatever corresponds to reality, would you go on that or would you go through? Well, obviously I'm going to correspond to reality or at least I want to have true beliefs, right? Um, so obviously it's like something like something like the uh, resurrection. If I if there's like some Beijing argument against the resurrection or you know something like that, then I'll, obviously I wouldn't believe in the resurrection anymore, so I wouldn't be a Christian. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I agree that we should go by the evidence and not by just our uh, personal belief system. So, but again, I mean, when it comes to like the belief system itself, like obviously there's going to be like some uh, defense of that. Right. So the, I guess the sort of counter argument to the resurrection is going to have to be strong enough to overcome that, that, uh, that sort of defense you have. So, yeah. Something I just thought of as you guys were going is like, let's just say, for example, like to, to be a Christian, you have to believe two plus two equals five. Like, um, I don't know if I could be a Christian if be part of being a Christian meant believing that two plus two equals five. Obviously it doesn't. But like when we're talking about like um, this idea of just like your beliefs going against the evidence, it's kind of like we. it depends on the belief and like what is this evidence? Because it's kind of tricky because it's just – at this point when we're answering it, it's kind of just like up to interpretation what that means. Um, I'm not saying that against the non-alchemist because it's a really good question, but it's just kind of, it's kind of tricky unless you have like real concrete examples of this. Um, we'll keep on going. Really good question here. If you lived in an ancient time and heard a voice claiming to be a perfectly good God that instructed you to offer a family member as blood sacrifice or to butcher, uh, intentionally butcher the children of the enemy, would you be able to believe it? 
uh, wouldn't you consider the possibility that you might be delusional? And if that's true, if you would, then why does it seem so easy for either you or maybe possibly your brethren to rationalize this kind of stuff when it appears in the Old Testament? Suppose that... Okay, this is a really good question, something I've been thinking about um, the past few days. And I think that my approach to like this Old Test, like the Old Testament violence and such is a little bit different than maybe like um, he takes it from. Like I start from just like in my belief system, I start with kind of like natural theology and just like, who do I believe God is? Um, and I kind of, and from like arguments and such, I come to the belief that God is morally perfect. Um, that's kind of just like, I think you can get there just through natural theology. You don't need the Bible um, to believe God. Obviously, we believe that through the Bible, God's morally perfect, but you don't need the Bible, I think, to establish God being morally perfect. Um, and then we get to the Bible. And I think that obviously, if we believe the resurrection, we can look at God through the person of Jesus Christ, who was God. Um, and we can say he was morally perfect. And I think from there, we can infer that, you know, they speak of God, Jesus is God, the same God that exists in the Old Testament. And I don't really know what interpretation is true, like regarding all the Old Testament violence stuff. But what I would say is, is if a morally perfect being told me to do something, I'd do it. Um, I'm not a morally perfect being. So whatever the truth about how all that Old Testament stuff works is, I don't really know. Um, but I'm going to follow what the morally perfect being tells me to do because he's morally perfect. I'm not. That's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, and what I'm what I'm about to say isn't like right per se, and uh, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. But it it's kind of like, do I want to deal with the bigger, like with the scarier thing, or do I want to deal with the less scarier thing? Because the less, if a, a morally perfect and all powerful or maximally powerful being were to say go do this thing and then do something and then prove that they are that all that maximally powerful being. I'm going to do what they said because I don't want to mess with a maximally powerful being. And that's before we even get into mora morality, because if you get to a maximally powerful being, you then logically get to a maximally moral being too, simply off of what we know. But yeah. So yes, yes, I'm, go I'm going to, because I don't want to mess with that. If some, if God then like sends a, a meteor shower down all around me and protects me from that, then I'm going to listen to whatever he says. Only if I can confirm that with other people too, and make sure that I'm not actually like off drugs or somewhere in my own mind doing all these things. I'll, I'll add that into the end. Yeah. Well, um, so he said that, He's like, oh, you find this easy to rationalize. And I'm like, I don't necessarily think all this stuff is easy to rationalize. I think there's really plausible answers to some of it. And I think that some of it needs to be really looked into and researched into. I think there's a bunch of different and plausible positions to take on, on how to look at this. As far as the actual scenario that he gave, that was just on biblical violence in general. As far as the actual scenario that he gave, like I would probably do it if I thought like for sure it was God, but it kind of depends on a lot of things. And like my ancient self's reason for believing in God and what God is like. But, you know, it's just, I think it's a complicated issue. I think it's interesting, too, because um, I think a lot of people um, and not to say that this is not something that at least prima facie is a problem. Um, but I think a lot of people look at biblical violence and they're like, oh, what would you do if like God did like God would be mad at you if you didn't do X or Y. But I think it's interesting because there's a fascinating story. I, I believe it's in Jeremiah um, where and I'm going to butcher the story. So I apologize. But um, uh, where like. Um, there's this group of, of brothers 
and their parents like 400 years before um, like promised not to drink alcohol and that none of their kids would drink alcohol. Um, and as a result of that, it, for some reason, God asked them to drink alcohol. And but as a result of that, they were like, no, we're not going to do this, like because we made an oath. And even though literally like God told them to do it, they're like, no. And then God honored them for that because he was like, you like are faithful to your promises. You're faithful to um, the the things like unlike Israel, who like abandoned me, you are faithful to um what you did or, or faithful to what your, your parents who were like years before you promised me. And so as a result of that, like he, he honored them. And so I think that there's, there's kind of a, some different views on, on what that looks like, but I think it really just his scenario depends on what I know God to be and stuff like that. So. All right. So for me, um, yeah, I'd have to, I guess I would have to sort of question when this, sort of thing happens in the old Testament. Cause like when it comes to the Canaanites, I'm not even really sure if that happened in a historical perspective. Um, John Walton talks about this a lot, how it's a lot, there's a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of warfare rhetoric going on. So I'm not even sure if uh, I would really believe that sort of thing happened. Now um, let's just say that that now, if God were to come to me and like say, Oh, go kill your family. I'd probably question God. Like if I'm going to be honest with you, I'd probably question God because um, I'm not even sure. I'm not sure why a perfect being would tell me to kill my parents. Right. So I think another sort of possibility. So I guess there's two possibilities. Either one, I'm like hallucinating what's going on or two, um, some demon is trying to be an imposter. So again, that's just from my own perspective. If God were to tell me to kill my parents, I'd be like, okay, why? Like, <laughs> why you tell me to do this? Um, I, 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 I'd want some uh, clarification on that. Um, so that that's what I would say. Yeah, I think those are great clarifications. I do want to bring a couple comments from Ryan Pauly. Shout out to him. Great YouTube channel because he brings up a couple good points um, on this. He just says um, he misses the point of the story by raising this objection of child sacrifice. I think he's right. Um, like if you look at the story, like take, for example, Abraham, um, you can kind of see the deeper motives kind of coming through that. And then he says, um, even the Israelites were sacrificing their children to Moloch, God told them how to stop. And he says, God then says, you don't have to sacrifice your children to me. He then becomes a sacrifice for us. And I think it's what makes the Christian message so great is it ends in God sacrificing um, his son, who is God, um, for us. And that's what makes Christianity very special. Um, we're going to keep on rolling. And I almost forgot to share the screen. So apologies to everyone. But here we go. A couple more questions. That a pagan believes that Zeus causes lightning. Now, does our ability to explain lightning without any appeal to personal agents count as some evidence that their view is false? And if it does, then why do Christians, or maybe you, always seem to say that being able to explain things naturalistically doesn't actually work as an objection to your views, if you would see it as an objection to someone else's views? Pretty much every cult Wait. culture, without exception, believed that it was... Okay, that's pen. All right. Yeah. This question was a little bit confusing to me. I can see Kyle smiling. Um, so we'll get to Kyle in a second. Um, this question was a little bit confusing to me because I don't really think like the Bible's claiming to solve how lightning works. With like, we have to look at what the Bible's trying to argue and talk about. Um, so, I mean, yes, if a religious belief claims something and it's proven to be false, then yeah, it'd be evidence against that religion. But I'm kind of confused with this question exactly. So I'll leave this to like you guys. You probably know a little bit more. 
Yeah, what I, I think what he's trying to get at is why do we discredit, like, can we discredit the fact that, or the belief that Zeus exists because we understand how lightning happens? And if we can do that, why then can we not discredit a belief about God if we know how the earth came to exist? And to that, I'd say that no, we can't dis discredit a belief in Zeus simply because we understand that it's a positive and a negative charge flashing through the sky. We can discredit a belief in Zeus off of the philosophical assumption, uh, off of the philosophical evidence that a being like Zeus logically can't exist. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, I, I guess I, I can't remember the original question, but like frankly, I, I I've never really or the exact form of the original question rather, but I can't, I can't, I don't know that I've ever seen or heard people do what he's describing. Um, but I suppose it happens. I just can't speak outside of my experience, but like depending on the phenomena that you're looking to explain, like sure you can make some sort of like inductive argument for metaphysical naturalism from what he's saying, Oh, you know, past explanations of a naturalistic. Um, and I, and I think that's fair. Um, but that said, we should always prefer the best explanation, not the naturalistic one. So if the best explanation is a personal one, we should go by that regardless. And also, I think that um, uh, it, this is the thing I was thinking about the other day. I th I, it seems to me that when you're comparing hypotheses, uh, hypo well, I can't speak words. Um, when you're comparing a hypotheses, um, it seems to me like both naturalism and uh, theism both predict regularity in nature to some extent. Well, actually, I don't even know that naturalism does, but, um, you know, naturalists, you know, it, it, like I said, I, I think we can expect certain certain things from theism and naturalism equally well here. So I, I don't know that that strongly counts in favor of naturalism, but it counts a little. Yeah, so I guess there's um, sort of two things to point out here. Um, so the first thing is about the nature of what God is versus the nature of what Zeus is. So... By, I guess, the Greek understanding of Zeus, um, Zeus was actually seen as the being that caused, that directly was it was the cause of the physical mechanism behind lightning, right? Now, of course, we know that to be false because, well, I'm not even really, well, in that case, even Zeus would have to be a physical being, which, of course, you know, God is not a physical being, right? So I think um, there has to be some sort of distinction between um, that because I think, like, a being like Zeus would be, well, obviously a being like Zeus isn't perfect, right? So it, like Zeus would not be the foundation for reality, whereas a perfect being would be the foundation for reality. And I think that's, I think that's where the discussion needs to go um, when it comes to the sort of debates between naturalists and theists, which is this whole idea of um, what is the ultimate nature of reality? Like what is um, the sort of, what's the nature of the foundation for reality, right? And of course the naturalist wants to go with, um, you know, just some quantum void or perhaps something impersonal, whereas the theist wants to go with a person kind of serving as the ground, right? Um, but when you do that, I mean, notice how both hypotheses, like God's nature, it's going to predict um, a lot of similar things that naturalism, well, maybe naturalism might be able to predict those things as well. But let's just say, I'm just going to go with, okay, let's just say that naturalism and theism, they have both... Uh, the same explanatory power. Well, they're both going to predict the same thing, so I'm not really sure. I guess you could sort of go an opian route where you you know you go what he does opian route and basically say that naturalism is simpler. Which I mean that's fair, right? Um, but I would not go with the whole route of 
um, or oh, well, you. I just I think it's a category error to be honest with you. Like I don't know how else to really explain it. Um, I think it's just the whole that sort of distinction is a category error, and then I guess um, yeah. I mean, we have to just look at both hypotheses, right? We have to look at naturalism, um, what it says, what it predicts, and we have to look at theism and see, okay, which hypothesis better um, accounts for reality. And I was also gonna, I was also gonna point out. I know me and Kyle talked about talked about this before, but Zeus actually isn't uh, simple. So I'm not even sure. Like, if you were to put Zeus as a hypothesis for Kazi Lightning, I'm not even sure that's a simple hypothesis, right? <laughs> so I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, you have to make a lot of assumptions of, I don't know exactly the, the Zeus creation story, but you have to make a lot of assumptions about how Zeus came to exist or just is a physical being but still is just, like, always existed. Or I don't know. I'm not really well-versed in Zeus mythology at all. Yeah. So. Actually, Kyle, it occurs to me you could almost go the Oppian route with comparative stuff to Zeus, because I think it would be the case that um, natural metaphysical naturalism compared to Greek mythology, because both of those have an internal universe, and so there's basically you could just take the the everything that's self consistent about the universe between naturalism and Greek mythology and just remove the deities, and then naturalism simpler poof. And so I was yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point though. So. Yeah, I, hmm, I thought what I know there's something else. I was, I guess. Well, I mean, here's the thing: so like um, Zeus would have arbitrary limits as well. I'm assuming, though, I'm not, I'm not sure what, <laughs> what Zeus's limits would be in regards to lightning. But uh, like, Ze like for example, Zeus um, wouldn't explain morality, for example, right? Or would it? I don't, I don't really see w what Zeus would explain in and of itself, right? Given Zeus's nature. Right, I don't. I would not see what is Zeus going to explain other than lightning, and I, I just don't see. Uh, and he's a contingent being. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> that's my point, right? Like when we're talking about God, we have to talk about the foundations. We can't talk about this sort of like this anthropomorphized, like you know, um, what's it called? This anthropomorphized um, bearded man with sandals in the clouds looking over us. Like that's just it's childish, in my opinion. So when we think about God, we have to think in terms of foundation. We can't think of this like our this uh, anthropomorphized view. So, yeah, um, we'll go to the last question. I just I see Fredo. Thank you so much for your super chat. We will get to that question after we answer this last question here from the non-alchemist. Obvious that the Earth was flat, unmoving, and that the sky was solid until these things were scientifically disproven. Now, given these facts. Why should we, if we're so wrong about the natural world in many cases, why should we privilege what appears to be obviously true, like, okay, I guess, designed to some people? If we're so wrong about a lot of stuff about the natural world in those other instances, then obviously shouldn't that make us more skeptical about what appears to be obviously true? Okay, um, there's a few things. Um, Joshua Phillip also says Zeus loses against the PSU, um, so... <laughs> Kyle's clapping and laughing. He's just muted, so you can't see it, but it's true. Um, I would see, say the non-philosopher of me hears PSU and thinks Penn State University, and no one's <laughs> losing to Penn State University this year. Except for Michigan, <laughs> Michigan still sucks, and it's um. But um, with this question, I do think he brings up a good point in like being skeptical of maybe like intelligent design. Like I'm 
know like nothing about science. So I, I don't really have like, I can't make an intelligent position on intelligent design, but I do think with a lot of things like, like an ID argument, um, it's, it's tough because we're not dealing with the foundation. We're kind of looking at like the product of reality. But I do think when we look at a lot of like the arguments, um, for God, like the foundation of morality or the foundation of mind or the foundation of just the universe as a whole, none of these kind of arguments would kind of fit under the same kind of criticism he gives here. So I do think it's helpful to kind of just look at the foundational arguments that we look at for the existence of God. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he brings up a good point that we should be skeptical of maybe like intelligent design, not saying it's false, but I mean, a lot of these arguments that um, we come for the uh, come up with for the existence of God wouldn't really have to deal with this criticism because they're talking about the foundation of reality. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but at least when I heard the question, and this once again, this may just be my ADD brain not being able to pay attention, but it seemed more like it could be an argument against naturalism than anything else. What is apparent? Shouldn't we? If this is what we thought was about, if this is what we thought about nature, and then it's we've been proven wrong uh, time and time again, why do we continue to think about what is obviously just true about nature? Specifically, that nature is just basically itself without without hanging on anything else. Because I know a lot of atheists would just say that it's quite obvious that there's no God because we can't see God, and it sounds like this is just as much an objection to that as anything else. Yeah, that's all. That's all I really had. I'll leave it to you guys to just flesh out more. Yeah, well, first of all, he, he has a little bit of wrong history here because like flat earth wasn't common after the Greeks in the 400s BC, at least in the old world, as far as I'm aware. And he's also wrong that science disproved that because it was like geometry or something like that. It was the Greeks. The Greeks are great. Love the Greeks, except for Aristotelian metaphysics. It's it's awful. Um, anyhow, uh, all my all my classical theist friends are crying on the inside right now. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like mere appearance of design does not entail design, um, though. And I guess in a Bayesian way, maybe it provides evidence for it. But I think ultimately we're just going for the best explanation here. So whatever the best best explanation is, that's what we should go with. And I think that that's just to me as a as a radical probabilist epistemically. Like that's just clear to me. Like I'm not looking for certainty. Just like best explanation, give it to me. That's 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 all I want. So. Yeah, I actually really love this um, sort of question, right? Because right now, it seems like the prevalent view is physicalism. And I think idealism is uh, starting to catch up a little bit. In fact, um, if you read um, The Case Against Reality, he presents, Don Hoppin presents a sort of really good um, case against physicalism. And then Bernard Arkashup, um, he, he wrote a paper called The Next Paradigm. And what he thinks is that the next paradigm, sort of the next way, the, the sort of, way we're going to think about the world is going to be in idealist terms. Um, now, of course, you could be wrong there, but I I think it's pretty interesting of how, you know, like we did used to believe in a, you know, we, we used to believe that we were the center of the universe, right? Um, that we had to get rid of that. Like Donald Hoffman, I think this is, I have to go paraphrase what he said a little bit, but basically what he said was, so we used to believe in flat earth. We had to get rid of that. We used to believe that we were the center of the universe, right? That the earth was the center of the universe. We had to get rid of that. And now we're at the point where we're going to have to even get rid of our whole intuition about space and time. And if that's true, well, I don't really see how physicalism can can uh, work, right? Because um, once you get rid of space and time, then you get rid of the physical. So physicalism, in that case, I don't think it's going to survive. 
Um, so I think the next sort of way we're going to think about the world is actually going to be in terms of uh, idealism, right? And I sort of, you know, I have a whole YouTube channel called Christian Idealism about this topic. So if you want to learn more, you can go there. But basically, I think the next sort of like scientific revolution, like the next way we're going to think about reality is going to be in terms of um, consciousness and consciousness being the only thing that really exists, right? Um, so again, we'll see what happens. But I mean, it's a really good point. Like, you know, maybe I think physicalism might actually be the next, next sort of um, thing that really dies off, you know, just like flat earth died off, um, geocentrism died off. I think um, physicalism is going to die off as well, but we'll see. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with physicalism, but we will go to Q&A only here for about probably like 10 or 15 minutes, and then we're, I'm going to have to leave, um, but we'll answer a few questions quickly. Um, C. Fredo said, Baya, thank you so much for your super chat. Always appreciate your support of the show. He said, what objection can be offered against the premise that reality may exist as a physical necessity? Um, what say the panel? Um, so I'm a little... I'm guessing he means like the idea maybe like the universe is just a brute fact because I would say that reality exists necessarily because God is ultimate reality and he exists necessarily. Um, but if you're saying maybe like the universe exists, like maybe like space, time, matter, energy, da, 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 that exists necessarily. I just think that it runs into a few problems. I'll just hi highlight arbitrary limits very briefly. Like if there's like 10 to the 82nd power of atoms, couldn't there just be like one more or one less? It would seem like conceivably there could be. Um, and you run into this problem of like arbitrary limits and theism is simpler than naturalism in that capacity and da 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 da, da. Um, But that's kind of my brief thoughts. Thank you for your question. I'll give it to the rest of you guys. Um, I really appreciate this question because it brought up Zach's answer and that gives me something for me and him to talk about with in terms of arbitrary limits and divine simplicity. So while I don't, have an answer to your question uh i thank you very much for it yeah and so i i, I have a few thoughts on this I th obviously arbitrary limits i think is one that, that a lot of us would agree with um and then uh I, I do think that i think it's a little different when you compare hypotheses right because i i, I guess i'm willing to grant that it's possible that the um universe is necessary as a physical exists as physical necessity um but also i'm an idealist so that doesn't really mean much to me like I don't even know what physical ontology is. Like, what are we even talking about here? And so physical ontology, I'm an idealist, I don't care. I mean, that's that's kind of my thought. I, I don't really have any good answers for you um, if you're a physicalist or a dualist. So, um, but I guess I would just say that, you know, that <laughs> that, that is what it is. And, and I think that there are problems that idealism solves that uh, I don't know how other views would solve them. And I don't really care to, because I'm an idealist, so. Yeah. Um, for me, I guess it depends on what you mean by physical. Um, I guess the sort of the definition I've been working with is anything with geometry. Um, and I think geometry is dependent. So if, if it's dependent, in fact, Joshua Smithy makes this argument where basically if geometry is dependent, then, um, whatever is the foundation for reality cannot be geometric. So it can't be physical in that sense. Right. Um, so I, I have, to, I could probably go that route as well. Um, it, again, it just kind of, it really means what you mean by physical necessity. So if you're talking about geometry, then I would just say that physical, I'm not really sure, something that's necessary, I don't think can be geometric, right? So whatever is necessary cannot be geometric. 
Um, but also, I think another important thing to point out is um, if you're talking about physical in the sense of it being outside experience, well, I'm an idealist, so I don't even accept that there is a physical reality in that sense. Um, so I'm with Kyle on that one, definitely. So, yeah. All the idealists here. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, question from Godless Engineer came at the beginning. Thank you for your question, John. He said, has there been an appointment made by atheists that have changed your mind? Um, there's a few. One was like, at one point I was pretty convinced in the, ontolog in the ontological argument. Now I'm kind of like at a deadlock because like, you know, it starts with like, it's possible that God exists. Um, and it kind of goes from there to necessity. And at this point I'm kind of stuck on like, well, isn't it possible that God doesn't exist in terms of the ontological argument? Like, obviously I believe God exists necessarily. Um, and I think you can make a modal art ontological argument work, but I'm kind of just like, if you just start with like only an ontological argument, I'm not really sure about that uh, more recently. So that's kind of one thing that I've changed my mind on recently. Depends on your view of necessity. If you're like me and you're like Richard Swinburne, be right, then metaphysical, logical necessity, boom, same thing. And so God, necessary or possible. Sorry. Sorry, I'll let Carl go next. I just felt like saying that. I have yeah, planning. Nah. As, my name is planning as Bulldog for a reason because I love the modal ontological arguments. So, yeah. yeah. I know like three of those words he just said. Um, <laughs> so I will say that I was convinced of an old earth theory by an atheist. So while that doesn't necessarily relate to religion, it was something that an atheist convinced me of. In terms of like biblical accuracy and something relating to theology, I have not been convinced of anything relating to theology by an atheist. Sorry to say. Yeah, so for me, um, this was actually more recently. So some, some atheists online, I think it was on Facebook or something, um, he presented this Cantorian argument against omniscience. And uh, I had to like, I was arguing with him about it and it got to a point where I had to sort of concede the argument. And so I had to like redefine or sort of like modify my view of omniscience. So now my view of, my view of omniscience is basically that uh, God isn't, isn't um, maximally aware of everything. So like he still has knowledge of everything, but he doesn't have like maximum awareness of everything. Um, so, so that, that's definitely something that, um, I've had to change my mind on cause I just, I haven't found a way to refute that argument. So I had to sort of modify my, um, my model of God a little bit. So, so it is what it is. Yeah. I, I just think, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. So I, I had my, uh, my mind changed on, uh, actually something I mentioned earlier, Paul Draper changed my mind. Um, and I don't think he intended to, but Paul Draper changed my mind on uh, what one what the biggest uh, argument against theism was, because he he is known for his argument from evil, but one of the but he he's really great at like intercepting objections to it. And one of the things he was like, he's like, well, you can say soul building works, but then like, why isn't God here to experience it with us? And that was sort of where it clicked with me that like the foundation of all problem of evil arguments is founded in divine hiddenness. And so that sort of just flipped my, my mind around about like, huh, like now I think divine hiddenness is the best argument against the existence of God. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, definitely. Actually, I guess he's an agnostic, but well, actually by, by, um, by internet atheist standards, he is an atheist. So. 
Um, we'll throw one more question in here really quickly, like lightning round, because it's probably about time where we have to slide out of here. I saw a few questions from Dr. Strange. I appreciate your questions, um, but we're not really going to dive into that theology stuff for today. Maybe another day. I know Carl's probably sad. Um, but uh, really quick lightning round, Joshua Phillip, if we took idealism off the table, um, sorry, Kyles, um, or the next <laughs> best position in philosophy of mind, I mean dualism, because I think there's so many issues. Oh, man. Um, that's my thoughts. If you took what is what people like usually adhere to off the table, they're going to side with what's closest to what they adhere to usually. So I'd say that the most logical position is dualism. Oh, wrong! No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, I, I think I think if we I think if we take ideal, and this is actually being honest, right? So let's just say we take idealism off the table. This is not to say that I find physicalism intrinsically more plausible than dualism given that idealism is not an option. But I think that, um, uh, yeah, Joshua's right. I'm, we're losing our minds because idealism's not on the table. Um, but uh, uh, I think physicalism actually is a far more plausible answer to the problem of minds in the sense of, you know, why are there a bunch of different minds? Because I don't think dualism has a lot of explanatory power in uh, getting to, um, like, why are there other minds? And I think their idealism has a bunch of resources and I think physicalism has a bunch of resources because if you just want to say the mind is a physical process, then of course it makes sense that there's a bunch of minds. If there's, you know, things that changed and, and evolved that way, like that just, I mean, that just seems clear to me. Now, I think that there's a crap ton of other problems that you get involved with, like hard problem, uh, is consciousness re reductive or not, uh, mental causation, like all the, there's so many. But I think that if we're just looking at the problem of minds, I think physicalism has a really plausible answer that's obvious for why there are other minds. Like I just, I don't know, that seems clear to me, so. For me, I would probably go with some sort of um, priority cosmopsychism, which I know that's that's probably like not what you're expecting, but um, cosmopsychism is basically the view that the whole universe is conscious um, and that we are kind of like, it's, it's very similar to idealism because it's really hard to sort of, but I guess um, we are basically, um, disassociated um alters of that sort of consciousness of this universal consciousness um but i guess because i i did a video on this recently where i go to i went over the sort of um rivals to idealism and the closest one was cosmopsychism and the reason why it's different is because instead of saying that the universe um so under idealism you would say that the universe is in consciousness on idealism but on cosmopsychism you would say that the universe is conscious so what that basically means is, yes, there is a reality beyond consciousness, but this reality that's beyond consciousness, um, the consciousness and reality are basically like pretty much glued onto each other. We can't really separate the two. Um, so I would go with that because I think um, like panpsychism, for example, that faces a combination problem. I don't think that can, I don't think that could be solved. So I would, I would probably go with a, some sort of cosmopsychism. Now, cosmopsychism has its own problems. It has the decombination problem. Um, and as well as how it explains, you know, submergent minds like us. But I think, I think, um, it's probably the best alternative in my mind. So, yeah. Um, um, well, that's about all the time we have for questions and stuff. It's been real. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, I encourage you, you can follow Carl on TikTok. This isn't my fault. 
um, Plantica's Bulldog. I don't really know how you can follow him because he didn't have any YouTube videos. And then Christian Idealism, Kyle Alander. You can check out the Christian Idealism YouTube channel. After you do all that, if you're new to Hearing Apologetics, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like. If you enjoy the show, you can support us on Patreon.com. Hearing Apologetics, we're nearly 80% funded. Thank you, everyone, so much for your support. Um, but that's it, guys. Carl and the Kyles, thanks for joining me, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. I hope everyone has a good evening. Yep. Um, God bless everyone.